0: entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley.
1: Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another week, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Now, I'm delighted to say today we are going to go into all things growth and scale-up. And I bet you're thinking, well, hold on, Nick, that's kind of what the podcast is for. Calls cool. So that's what you do every week. Well, as you know, we don't always get into that. We get into other stuff like mindset and personal development areas. We get into kind of how you maximize energy, how you become more productive. But today I'm delighted to have on the program with me, Jay Allen. Now, Jay Allen does a very similar thing to me. He's a business growth specialist. He's a business coach. His company, My True North, is as he calls it an ethical coaching company and we get into what that really means a little bit today and similar to what i've done recently with people like gavin preston where we kind of just chew the fat so to speak and kind of talk about what makes a great business tick and and what makes successful businesses become surviving and thriving and sustainable that's kind of what Jay and I are gonna get into today. So listen, there's a long intro. Uh, I have a little bit of fun with Jay. We've known each other for some time. He's a great guy. I thoroughly recommend you look, at him, look him up, you have a look at kind of the different stuff he's doing and uh, he's definitely someone to have on your radar if you are trying to get all the information you can to take your business to the next level. So there we have it. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Jay Helen. Hi everyone, Nick here. Welcome to scale up your business for another week. We are closing in on the hundredth episode. It's coming very, very soon, but today I'm delighted to have a good friend on the show. Someone who actually does something very similar to what I do, certainly has a very similar set of beliefs. And I'm going to kick off by one of his beliefs, which is according to our guest today, 80% of business owners are wrong about everything. I'm gonna. let him. I'm gonna let him talk to him, and he's laughing now. But it's funny. Having started his career in the British Army until a series of incidents saw him medically discharged in 2003, rather than use this as an excuse to give up, today's guest has gone on to either buy, acquire, or set up four of his own companies. Twice won a Global Entrepreneurs Big Impact to Business Award, and is listed in the UK Clear Business Thinking Power 100. He's also published a book called Scale Sherpa, spent four years studying the failure of more than 150 national businesses and identified three flaws which prevent good businesses from becoming great. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Jay Allen. Wow, Nick. Thank you very
0: much. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Yeah, I had to have a bit of fun with that. (laughs) <laughs> fun. you know it's funny because i get different intros for, for people and, and, and this one was a good one because it's like a bit of a build-up but let, let's go back to the very beginning and then we'll do some kind of how we know each other and stuff but 80 sure. percent of business owners are wrong about everything
0: yeah absolutely what does that mean so it, i can guarantee that in every industry in every sector we could categorize a business into one of five categories In any category, in any business, in any sector, regardless of how long they've been trading or size of business or turnover, there are 1% of businesses within that industry who are absolutely smashing it, who are industry leaders, who are breaking all of the rules and who everyone hangs on the coattails of and says, oh, if only I could have a little bit of X. There's a further 4% of business owners that are doing really, really well and perhaps just haven't necessarily systemized everything in order to be able to move to that elusive one percent club and there's 15 percent of businesses that are on a more traje- not more standard trajectory path of you know incremental growth over a set period of time and years and all oh, we did another five percent this year on last year we're doing well but 60% of business owners in every sector, in every industry, when interviewed honestly, admit to struggling, admits to saying, well, we've, we've had some success, but we've also had some failures, and it's, it's a little bit of a shortwave radio of peaks and troughs of good and bad. And we know from Companies House that every year, 20% of businesses fail, go bust and die. So unless you joined a business or started a business with the intent of either being average and mediocre and struggling or failing 60 and 20, 80% of business owners clearly get it all wrong. And the, <laughs> f- the reason why I think that's so, f- so phenomenally exciting to know is that it will automatically stop you from ever looking at your local, regional, national or international competition and saying, Ooh, They've got a podcast. We really ought to be doing a podcast. Oh, they've got some radio marketing. We really ought to be on the, because there's no point following what everybody else is doing because four fifths of them are getting it
1: wrong anyway. There's a lot of bravado in this world as what I call it, Jay. You know, where everyone kind of, I used to call it vanity when I was in my corporate world. Like you win something, like you win an award. Like it used to happen a lot in the creative industries where I was kind of, you know, had most of my career. And all of a sudden, that was the best thing in the world. But you know the things go and bust, <laughs> so you kind of think. But what? I mean, I want to kind of get into how we met. But I, I like this. Let's just get stuck into it. This is sure. good. This is good, right? So, so of the businesses that aren't performing, or, or what's what's gone wrong? What's what's happened? Because because I often say, you know, businesses you know, at the startup phase, they can start strong, they've got a product market fit, they're solving a problem, they've, they're selling some things, and then all of a sudden they stall, some of them fail, or some of them actually stay in this kind of pay, this plateau for, like, years. So what's going wrong?
0: Well, as you know, our company is called True North, and it's all about understanding the difference between Magnetic North and True North. And what tends to happen in most businesses is that, we start off in life, we either inherit a business or we buy a business or we set up from scratch, I've done all three now, um, with a, with a view or, or a vision or a, a goal of what we believe that the future success of the business looks like. And then invariably we become a little bit like a meerkat. We, we dive in and we're so busy scurrying around for that first 30, 50, 100,000 pound turnover that we get so involved in doing the doing That we simply create a busyness as opposed to a business. And slowly, without even noticing it, we just fall one degree off course. And it's so minute that we don't notice that we've done it. And yet, in actual fact, you know, if me and you were to set out from the same destination and you set out on course, as you clearly have done, and I've just taken that 1% deviation, we'll never get to the same destination. And yet people don't seem to understand that it's so much more important to actually step out of the business and reflect on, am I still on course to achieve what I set out to achieve? And if not, have I hit one of those shiny object syndromes or SOS signals that we all also look out for and then determine as to how do I point myself back on course to be able to make sure I'm still working towards the goals that I set out to achieve in the first place?
1: Sounds so simple, Jay. <laughs> Sounds so simple, but it's not, is it? Because let's let's be honest, like entrepreneurs, you know, one of the curses or gifts or what do you want to call it? Of entrepreneurship is shiny object syndrome. You know, you see opportunities and you don't you don't want to say no to them and therefore you lose focus. And we'll talk about focus, I'm sure, um, today. Um, but but also what you said, the, the increments are tiny. I mean, one percent deviation, you could end up, I know I've used the plain sort of metaphor thing before about you know, you end up in a totally different country, like not where you wanted to be. So, so it's obviously not just about time management and time intention. What does that business leader need to be doing consistently to make sure that they're always tracking back to be on course?
0: Well, this brings us to, the, to that study that you referenced when, I, when, we, when we spent almost six years looking at business failure um, to understand as to how do you grow. I mean, and when, when I say business failure, we, we didn't study the local chippy um (laughs) for for my
1: us guests that's a fish and chip shop the uk sorry
0: (laughs) we didn't study the local corner store and it failed um so the first business that we started to really look into to understand as to what causes failure was woolworth's and at the time they had 886 stores across the uk um We've, we've subsequently gone on all the way and studied 152 other big national businesses, the last one being Toys R Us. Um, and for uh, you know, people worldwide, we'll be recognizing of, of those two brand names and, uh, and entities, both of which were billion pound plus turnover businesses at the time of failure. So I was more interested to understand how do you possibly, you know, on the old Jim Collins good to great analogy, how do you possibly get to such a large business with 47,000 employees and then subsequently fail? And the simple fact is, it's exactly the same problems in a micro business as it is magnified in a corporate global business unless you stop and regularly review, what is the business plan are we still following it? Is it up to date? What do we need to do in order to be able to ensure that all the systems and processes are still supporting the goals within the business plan, as opposed to a maverick coming up with a good idea? There's an old adage in the, in the military. There's only one thing more scary with a junior officer and a good idea. And it's a senior officer with a map.
1: <laughs> we used to have a similar thing in my world, which was never let the creative run the agency. <laughs> A lot of my, a lot of my kind of marketing agency, you know, listeners are going to be throwing tomatoes at my head right now. But you know, there was a, there's a point. You need, you need the creative. You need the spark of genius, right? But you know, we'll talk about the difference of startup and scale up. I'm sure as well. But you know, processes and systems, you know, they're the keys to kind of getting to significant scale.
0: It's interesting. I was just chatting earlier today with a chap called David um, um, about the the launch of his new book coming out in September called Systemology um which has just been endorsed by michael gerber um
1: yeah, okay
0: um, so it, it's really got some the forward's been written by michael gerber um who, who simply says in emith i teach people what you need to do and in systemology david teaches you how to do um So it's a great book. And the thing I like the most about it, and it's exactly what you've just said there, in actual fact, unless we've got systems and processes on which we build a business, it doesn't matter how good your sales and marketing are, if you haven't got the systems and processes first as the foundation blocks on which we build a business, you're simply building a business on wet sand.
1: I get that. I get that. And you see that all the time, particularly where, you know, if if the business isn't performing to expectation, I mean, like, you know, obviously we're going through COVID right now um, and you've got this kind of thing where people haven't really put the foundations in place. And I see that a lot with cash flow. You would have seen it with some of your clients and things like that as well. They just haven't got enough going on. So then they panic and then they start getting into the business again. And then, as you said, the whole thing goes back into that cycle. So, I mean, one. How do you get out of it? Okay, so obviously having a business plan is important. Measuring things is important. Building the right processes and systems, bringing the right people in, you know, having that capability, but, but where do you start? So if you're someone listening to this and we've got all sorts of different people listening to this, this podcast, some people have got businesses worth hundreds of millions and we've got other people who are kind of a startup. But where do you, what's the first thing you do?
0: I guess the very first thing is to acknowledge that we are all far too close to our business automatically have that bird's eye view on it as an instinct um, the first things to do is to acknowledge that in order to be able to grow from where we are right now then we've got to have and the opportunities to look at things from a different perspective and a willingness an openness to be able to at least engage in that alternative perspective yeah I know, okay. the, old, I know the old adage you can lead a horse to water but you can never make it drink um it doesn't yeah. matter how much good advice we can give somebody they've got to be open and willing to at least consider that advice for it to be worth passing to them in the first place
1: and do you find that's a big differentiator between someone who's in the kind of the one percenters if you like or, or certainly the, the ones that are performing well they are open-minded to advice feedback but more importantly they've probably got a mindset which is which is one of growth and learning as well i expect
0: well we, we all know that those who are super successful in whatever walk of life that they choose to follow be it business or faith or education or whatever else we always know that the most super successful ones are the ones that acknowledge that i know nothing that i am an open sponge and continually opens to learning and the learning of others as opposed to those people that walk around with the the proud shoulders and look at how good i am you know life is the journey and not the destination
1: yeah well let's 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 pivot back a bit now so let's let's talk about your journey so because because i know a little bit about this and i want you to share it with the listeners because we talked a little bit about the military but what's interesting is what happened after that you know the military is interesting in its own right but what happened after that tell us that story jay
0: well well, yeah i mean just to give that context i would never intended to be a soldier I, I i was never grown up and brought up into a military family where that was an expectation i'm the first person within my a certain recent history since the second world war to ever have even considered a job in the military and even when i joined the military it was only with an intent of being able to let's see what this is like i'll do a three to five year stint and and get the alpha male bit out my system in order to be able to go back to the world of business and yet when i joined it i so fell in love with the different aspects of it the fact that every day was different that you never knew what else was coming that it continually challenged you as a person to find out as to what your true values and worth was and i think they've been fundamental as transferable skills to to what i've done since um so i enjoyed a, a great military career i was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time depending on whether you consider bosnia and kosovo and the iraq war the right place at the right time um but but i enjoyed a a great career that i thought was likely to last for longer than it did um and then had an accident a physical accident in the second gulf um which brought me back to the hospital but then it was during my rehabilitation where i was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder um that i suddenly suddenly and subsequently realized that it's game over that there isn't a career for me any longer Um, it doesn't matter as to how physically well you can get if you're, if you're not capable of being able to demonstrate mental resilience to, to an extent that you're not fit on the battlefield any longer, then you know, you, you no longer have got a job in the army. Um, so I left that knowing full well that I needed to find civilian employment and to move on. And it was the first time that I really came up with so many hurdles, because rather than people seeing 12 years service, um, having managed a team, having managed a budget, um, holding a good qualification, all of the things that on a CV tends to tick all the HR boxes, all they actually saw was long-term sickness absence risk. He's been in hospital for a long time. If he has another breakdown, he's going to be on our payroll, and we're not getting anything from him. Um, and it took me ten months to get employment. Uh, no one was willing to take the risk. Um, and in that time, you know, you you run out of money very quickly, and you realise that the only person that's going to employ you is yourself. um um, if if you're unemployable then the great news is you've become an entrepreneur overnight
1: Um, i love that definition that's definitely my definition of it i I got sacked about four times in a row maybe more i've forgotten now and then i realized there's no way that anyone's going to give me a job again (laughs) let's
0: face it i i would never employ me i wouldn't give me an interview any longer um because i'm continually delving and digging and, uh, and asking why and challenging um and yet i think all of those are probably some of the most fundamental for, uh, qualities that we need in business, certainly in a small business to be able to survive, to be able to continue to challenge the status quo of, oh, well, that's the way we always do it. Great, I'll do something different.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's true. And that's that's the thing I find that um, I think businesses, particularly larger businesses and corporates these days, that they've improved a bit, certainly from what I've seen. But, you know, when I was kind of involved in that a decade ago, if you were that person, you know, you were kind of banished the chippy guy in the corner who was not, you know playing ball or being part of the team but in reality what you're trying to do is probably nudge things and make them better you know well, I, I didn't... Sorry,
0: outside of the school gates of corporate it's called innovation
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> indeed but when you're in there you know the the fragile narcissistic chief exec doesn't like anyone who who potentially um can say something that asserts uh, usurps their power or their position or, like or god forbid Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a trait, isn't it? It's a trait. It's also a trait that we see with, you know, some entrepreneurs who kind of go through the scale-up journey. They start to become that person, you know, because it's all based on fear. But keep going on your story, Jay, because I know, you know, obviously what happens after that is is quite interesting.
0: Thanks. Um, So I I cheated. Um, I take my hat off to anyone that set out with with nothing, uh, a laptop and a phone and a good idea. Um, The first time around, I played it a little bit safe. Um, and I bought an existing business. And I know that you're very keen to be able to share with people the importance of being able to scale through um, through growth, uh, of just taking on something and growing it to be bigger. Um, so there was a business that was available for sale. It had been trading for 14 years. It had got a relatively decent forward order book. And the only reason it was for sale is, sadly, the guy who had founded it had recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Right. Um, and he wanted to concentrate his time on, time he had left, really, and he didn't want to make anyone redundant as, re- as a result of his illness. Um, and so there was a very, very, very quick negotiation of, of value. We agreed that I was going to pay about 65, not quite 70% of net value of the business um, if it had sold commercially on the proviso that I took his staff on. Um, he said, I don't want to make redundancies as a result of my illness. Um, so under what's called 2P regulations in the UK, I had to sign an agreement that they, uh, they they transferred across on the same contracts and and and, and you know a benefits package if you like um, and I did so with one caveat that I would give all four members of staff one year uh, in my new business um, and within that year they had to be able to demonstrate that they were going to meet my requirements for, for a growing business as opposed to a relatively stagnant business there was there was four salaries and four employees had um, the
1: business been growing before you bought it or had it just been like you know literally kicking along making profit obviously but just not well, it necessarily
0: had, it had grown to the extent that it had gone from one employees to four employees and the director of the business no longer worked in it but still took a salary from it but by the by, by the time that four salaries and a director had been paid a very very marginal salary um net profit at the bank was probably ten thousand pound a year
1: right um, okay um
0: it paid salaries it employed people Um, But I saw potential, I saw the fact that it had grown to this level, he'd got some really, really quite impressive um, clients on his books, but just wasn't doing anything, he was very much a reactive business owner, waiting for it to come to them, he hadn't marketed the business for five years, um, but they had a 93% retention rate of their staff, uh, of their clientele, and I thought, do you know what, all we need to do is to put that little time bomb of, let me introduce you to some of the other things that we could do for you, and start to win some new business from existing clients and then do that to be able to introduce that business to their suppliers and their suppliers, suppliers. And it, it was very much a case of get big or go home.
1: Got it. Yeah. Cause basically um, what you were buying was, was a set of salaries <laughs> I was buying a set of
0: salaries and an opportunity. Um, and I, I, I decided that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it and get big or go home. I'm either going to go all in or, or give up. Um, I'm probably going and get another corporate job somewhere. Um, so I threw myself into it Uh, I mean one of the stories that I I know I've shared with you previously I chose to take on a fifth member of staff um, and we put a really quite impressive advert out to try and attract lots of people to it we had some really great applicants come forward and by the time we got to shortlisting I couldn't decide we'd done two interviews um, of these people and I couldn't decide between the last three Um, there were three people I could have picked any one of them and they'd have fit the, the model really, really well. So I took on all three. Um, I said, I can't decide between you, so you've all got the job. Um, now, again, at, at the time, there was enough salaries to be able to pay one of them for the first month. And yet, because I couldn't decide between them, I said, well, I'll give you all the job and we'll have to worry about where the money comes from in the next four
1: weeks. Got it. You wouldn't advise that to any of your clients now, would you?
0: Massively. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the first time that you say, oh, I wonder if I should take somebody on, was probably about three months before you should have done.
1: So you were building your bench, effectively, for the growth that you were expecting to drive based on what you said before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong, you have to be quite creative with regards to how you'd be able to pay their first month's salary if you haven't got the funds to do so. Um, So we set about and said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a challenge. For the first three weeks, me and my four members of staff are going to be at your beck and call. And we're gonna be here to be able to advise you, guide you, train you, support you, teach you, show you. Um, You've got access to every single thing in the business. And on week four, it's test week. And you're going to demonstrate everything that you've learned from us and the business by generating your own salary. And we're going to give you access to be able to get on the phones and make appointments and do things. And I will pay you pound for pound or dollar for dollar, I will pay you pound for pound whatever you generate for the business not i will pay you the net profit of whatever you generate i will pay you exactly pound for pound whatever money you can bring into the business whatever we invoice i will give
1: to you and Were these guys were they salespeople or were they yeah, we're
0: predominantly taking on um, business development if you like so okay the so time. they
1: were yeah so how creative they could be in terms of finding revenue for you was was obviously the focus anyway which is cool yes. i like that nice
0: now, of the three that we took on, on day four of week two, one of them came to me and said, thank you very much for the opportunity, but I don't think it's for me. I'm going to leave. And didn't ask for a salary for the last two weeks. Um, he decided that there was likely to only be an opportunity at the end of this for one, because they would only advertised one position. And I think I'm a weaker link compared to the other two, so I'm already going to vote myself out. Well, <laughs> wow. that was easy.
1: That's um, easy. That's a mindset play in itself, isn't it? <laughs>
0: I didn't have to say a word. He didn't ask for a salary. He Just said thanks very much. But I don't think this is for me. And he and he left, and that was easy. Because if he's not going to be in the business full time and committed like I needed the other two to be, then he'd made the the, the eventual redundancy or sacking so much easier to do down the line because he'd done it for himself. Um, however, in week four, these other two uh, two guys, um, uh, um, but these other two guys were head for head they were adamant that they were going to compete against each other and win the most that they possibly could. And I ended up, I mean, and this is a few years ago when, when a few thousand pounds, was a lot of money. Um, but I ended up writing a check for one of them for 6,086 pounds for the first four weeks of employment. Wow. And then I said to him, the good news is, is you've just set your KPIs because from this moment forward, I need you to generate that every single week that you're in business.
1: Fantastic. And how, how just because I'm curious now, how long did these guys stay with you?
0: Well, I sold the business four and a half years later. We'd grown it from four staff to 22 staff. And the guy that I paid £6,086 in week four was still the sales manager when I sold the business. He was still on the same salary that I employed him on four years earlier. And he didn't give a damn about his salary because his bonus was about eight times, no, about seven and a half times his salary every year.
1: Wow. That's amazing.
0: I think I think we soldered him at about 18,000 and the year I left sold the business he he was bonused at 62,000
1: wow that's awesome so how did you so going back this is a while back now obviously but what um what gave you the inclination to be that creative with that strategy was it because you were thinking I need to I need to pay these guys and I need to be creative anyway because that's quite an interesting way of even testing someone's cultural fit within a few weeks as well
0: well, I guess the, 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 the honest answer is my naivety to business. I hadn't been exposed to being a business owner before I became a business owner. Um, I was never a business owner in training. Um, I'd left a military organization. I'd done a little bit of time at corporate and then chose to branch out on my own and become a business owner. So I didn't know what the, the norm was. So all I did is I went back to my military days and said, well, well what would I have done in a soldier? as a soldier and the simple answer is it's fights to survive or survive to fight Got it. Um, and there's a, there's a subtle difference in the two fights to survive is what do I need to do right here in order that I can guarantee my survival and yet so many business owners particularly in a time of crisis are survive to fight and it's they've got this survival mentality of I've just got to be able to get through the next four weeks without giving any due considerations to the impact that's going to have on the bigger battle
1: Yeah, no, I get that. And I see that a lot as well. But that comes back, you know, we talked a little bit about mindset already today, it comes back to kind of how you get in your head too much. And then all of a sudden, it becomes overwhelming. And that's where you see the stressed, burnt out business owner, um, who doesn't really see any route to escape from that. And therefore, that becomes that perpetual cycle.
0: Well, there's nothing worse, is there really, than taking on a business or growing a business, and then in actual fact, becoming so, so fundamental and centric to the business. That in actual fact you've created a job for yourself, and you've got all of this support staff that's just keeping you in in the chair, as opposed to changing that mentality and saying your first and primary role is to be able to work towards making yourself redundant.
1: No, oh, indeed, indeed. Okay, well, let's get into. I mean, I love that. Is there anything else actually? What what, what happened after that when you sold the business?
0: Well, again, I, I love that. I love this story, uh, and thanks for asking because. When I sold it, I could either sell it commercially and put it out for for sale and find out as to who who was going to offer for it. But the likelihood was that I was going to end up having to negotiate a sale with somebody else that didn't have the same passion and values that I did. Or I could sell it internally. So I ended up selling my business to three of the four original employees that I bought from it.
1: I love that. I love that. I, I think that's a, a powerful way to do these, particularly for smaller businesses these days. And something that sometimes get, gets overlooked when if actually you, you can turn around most-
0: to you and you say, you know, I, I took you on because John didn't want to make you redundant. And as a result of that, you've been with me for four and a half years. You've progressed from being a fee earner to becoming a team leader to subsequently becoming a manager within the business in order to be able to guarantee your own success, I'm going to spend the next nine months teaching you how you're going to buy this business off me in order that you can continue to maintain your employment within it and starts to be able to do that again for somebody else. And I sold it in 2011 with 22 staff. And at Christmas this year, it celebrated its 34th member of staff.
1: Wow. And the business has been going what now? 25, 30 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it was first registered with Companies House in 1984.
1: Wow, that's amazing! And what did you do after that? So, what was the after you kind of you know? First and foremost, why did you sell the business? Uh, and then what happened after?
0: I love you and your questions because you're so insightful. Anyway, uh, thank, <laughs> thank
1: you. Um, I like listening to people. I find I find I find human stories interesting, and I think a lot of people can learn from from the story as much as they can from any of the more practical tips we'll get into.
0: Sure. So. We'd been trading for four years, we'd just won an international award for this Global Entrepreneurship Award, we'd, we'd just won that for the first time, um, and, and that brought a whole host of new inquiries and new business with it, um, and my next door neighbour, or the gentleman that lived opposite me on the cul-de-sac, was another business owner with whom we, we associated through being in the, in the same Chamber of Commerce um I had never met him as my neighbor um our our gardens backed onto each other but I subsequently found out that we were in the same chamber and we lived on the same street as it were and we started to have chats and this and the other and then when we won this award we got a load of publicity from it and we were on the front page of the uh, chamber of commerce magazine and all that type of stuff and we bumped into each other in the pub that weekend and he came across and he almost punched me on the shoulder um not one of those joking friendly little knocks but a proper, gig, proper big dig type stuff. I was like, whoa, what's going on? And he said to me, how do you do it? I said, well, how do I do what? And he said, I've been in business 37 years and I've watched as you've gone from probably a fifth of our turnover when you first bought your business to now being four times the size of our business in four years. How do you do it? And it was the first time that I'd taken my foot off the gas to to realise that perhaps some other people aren't doing the same as we're doing. Maybe other people, I hadn't given any consideration, I was so busy in my own business, I hadn't given considerations to, aren't all business owners doing this? Aren't we all growing and scaling the way that we are? Um, I thought that was what you did in business, because like I say, I was quite naive to business. Um, And then I subsequently learned that, you know, we've grown so rapidly compared to his business and how do you do it and he says listen you've just won this award he says you're busy you're talking about systems and processes why don't you come and show me lad what what it is that you do um and you know over a couple of pints and and me getting a little bit (laughs) maybe maybe a little bit too friendly uh, i subsequently agreed that rather than going back to my own business after the christmas break i was going to come and spend january with him in his business um so I, I, i had a conversation with my office manager I I temporarily made her up to general manager gave her the keys to the business and the alarm codes and the likes and said look I'm not going to come back in January I've got a friend he's got a project uh, he's asked me to get involved in it I'm not going to come back in January I'm going to go and help somebody for two or three weeks get something fixed give me a ring when you need me and that was the instruction. She was happy because it meant that she could move into my office for three or four weeks whilst I was away, um, and, and everything was cool. And I met up with Alan, and we went into his business, and we started looking at. And I was gobsmacked. I could not believe that he'd grown his business to about three quarters of a million quid, with no systems and no processes, and employees that used to turn up on a Monday morning and then sit and wait for Alan's to for him to walk in and say right, I need you to do this, and you to do that, you. That it. it was. It was just. I was mind blown that he got to such a level of business that he had done with what I call a fag packet business plan. Um, it was all that <laughs> he had. Um, and I, what I thought was going to take two or three weeks to help him out subsequently ended up being six and a half months of me turning up Monday to Friday and helping him want to understand what he needed to do and why he needed to do, but then subsequently helping him do because he was so, I say lazy, that's not fair. So so set in his ways that it was very difficult for him to understand the need to do the things that we needed to do in his business.
1: And at the so, very beginning, you said, though, that someone has to be open to growth, learning, advice. Was this guy, it sounds in the beginning that he wasn't, or certainly hadn't even had any exposure to that type of stuff, even though there was a need there.
0: I think you've hit the nail on the head on both accounts there. First of all, I don't think he'd ever been exposed to it before, and throughout our in- engagement he was always reticent to well well you're a young whippersnapper what do you know I've been in this industry for 37 years type stuff and not realizing that a business it doesn't matter what business you're in you've got to have the same f- systems and processes and fundamentals in the foundation blocks in order to, on which to grow any business and yet he wasn't willing to build I say willing it was he was reticent to understanding that he'd, he'd missed those fundamentals. And we had to almost strip the business all the way back to build those in order to be able to then rebuild what he already had in business in order for it to continue to go and grow as opposed to continually hit that glass ceiling that he was never getting beyond.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the fundamentals because obviously you've honed this now over many years, sure. <laughs> but um, I always like to have um, certainly a section of these interviews where we get practical Okay. So I think we're, natu- we're naturally there now, Jay. So what are those fundamentals? So when you come into a business like that one, and obviously as I said, there's different types of businesses, but the fundamentals remain more or less the same. What, what are you looking at? And what are those pillars? What do they look like?
0: Well, the first thing that we do with any of our clients is, is sit and reflect on what, what did you do before you do what you do? What do you now do? And what do you want to be able to do? because for me, your business is a resource. Just as I wear spectacles to be able to read, just as I um, have a mobile phone to sustain contacts, contact, just as I've chosen to have an estate car as opposed to a sports car, um, I've bought something that is fit for purpose. And every year I go back to the optician and regardless of how much money it costs or how much he chooses to charge me, I will always pay his fee even if the lens change is half a degree in order that I can maintain accurate sight. And yet what we don't do in business is stop for a minute and review the effectiveness of what we are doing in business compared to what we want from business. So I initially sit with the business owner and say, so what does success look like? Not in business, but in life, how do you measure? What do you want from this? And then establish as to, well, if it's not providing that for you yet, what do we need to do within the business and change within the business in order to give that to you quickly? Now, some people want more time to be able to spend with their family and friends and you know, going on holidays and exploring new places. Other people want more money. Other people want more responsibility. That there are a whole myriad of things that people want to be able to consider as to what they view as their success, how they know that they've made it. So first of all, I need to understand as to what that is in order that I can then go back to the business and say, so, so what have you done so fundamentally wrong or differently that's preventing you from doing that? Because ironically at the moment, there's a good chance that you've fallen out of love with the business. You've now created a job for yourself and something that you're reluctant to do or reluctance to give any more time and efforts to because it's not rewarding you to what you deserve to have. So if I can find out what does success in your life look like, and then I can come back to the business to say, okay, so in actual fact, we don't need to create a vast amount of turnover. What we actually need to do is to make you redundant. So the money that you enjoy earning so far, you've got the freedom to go and spend.
1: Yeah, see, I, that, that concept of the business as a resource, I think gets lost. You know, the, people, people, people forget the, the reason they start the business is to get one of those things, if you like. Um, but then they don't realize that it's, it's a tool to do so.
0: Absolutely. Now I, I am going to stipulate Nick and uh, forgive me cause I know that you, we share very much of the same values. I am going to put a very, very, very strict caveat on that. Your business is a resource. Unless your business is completely automated, run digitally and employs nobody other than you unless your business is that model then whilst your business is a resource and going to deliver for you what you need from it the moment you employ one person within it you also have a responsibility to enable it to provide for them also
1: mm-hmm. no, it's not
0: a business as a resource at the expense of other people it's your business as a resource in order that it can also, also become a resource for other people as well.
1: Yeah, no, I do. I agree with that fully. And I think that's the other thing where, where I often say that if you are running a business, you don't have one set of customers. You've got quite a few, actually. And one of those, one of those sets happens to be your employees because you've got to serve them. I agree with but that fully.
0: It was Bill Gates that said the greatest investment any business can ever make is in the recruitment, retention and reward of its people.
1: Yeah, no, I believe that. I often say when people ask me the definition of scale up, processes and systems come in to it. But I say it's the ability to bring people in and build a team, build culture, you know, build all that. Because actually, you know, the systems and processes work to some extent, and I fully agree in automation. But ultimately, there are people there who have to manage those systems and processes, be accountable for them, you know, love them, <laughs> feed them, all that stuff. All can right, I, so I, I one thought
0: with you, Nick? Because this, this is so key. Um, for those of you listening right now, if you've got the chance, grab a pen and a piece of paper, because I'd like you to draw two triangles, one with the point pointing uppermost, and the other one with the point pointing down.
1: Are they on top of each other? Is it like a diamond? It doesn't have we...
0: matter. Either or, we're going to okay. reference businesses that are successful and businesses that fail. And this is all based on that 150-odd person re- people you know, business research that we did this is the second fundamental floor in business and it's all around people, systems and processes. Any business needs to have people systems and processes in order to be able to work sustainably and significantly. We're all agreed in that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: However, for businesses that do well, the, the one where the, p- the triangle is pointing uppermost and therefore pointing as an arrow up towards success, if you want to be colourful, you could colour it green because it's on the way up. For businesses that do so well, they understand that people have to sit at the pinnacle of that triangle. And the systems and processes, the other two points on the triangle, should be there to support the growth and development of its people meanwhile businesses that fail either fail spectacularly and just fall off the planet or at least really really struggle and end up with glass ceilings and a high churn rate of staff and employees and low morale and all that type of thing it all comes from if the triangle is inverted and we are a systems and processes heavily driven business that simply want bums on seats to do as they're told if you unmotivate your team and simply get them to works to rule, I can guarantee you that the rules that you've created were never stress tested for every single environment that your business is going to face. And the moment that the systems and processes aren't capable of telling the staff what to do exactly because of the circumstances that we're in, they will work to rule, you'll create silos and the whole business will implode.
1: Wow, love that. And I like, the, I like the way that that's a, um, a descriptive, colourful way of people seeing that as well. Can I ask about the research then? So, um, and again, name, name companies if, if you can. I assume it's um, in the book anyway. But is there, a, is there a, a, a kind of a company that stands out as being the green, let's call it the green triangle, and one that stands out as the red from, from your research?
0: Well, again, that, that was interesting. And I, I wouldn't name names, but the simple fact is all of them, all of the 153 that we studied that failed, we identified these three fundamental flaws that they were all guilty of at some stage that weren't the overall overarching final cause of failure. There are multitude of things that will eventually cause a business to fail. But when you peel those back and say, but if this had been in place, they wouldn't have been able to subsequently do that. That we've identified three flaws that all 153 didn't have in place effectively. And the triangle analogy that I've just given you, I call it the people system process dichotomy, is the second flaw that all of them were guilty of.
1: Got it. So what was the first flaw?
0: Well, the first flaw is all about a business plan.
1: So business plan, okay. So business plan.
0: 46% of the businesses that we studied either didn't have a business plan that was documented, it was known by the board, but it wasn't documented and agreed on and signed upon, or they had a business plan that was completely out of date or they had a business plan that wasn't being followed by everyone in the business. There was a maverick somewhere that was off on a tangent.
1: That would have been you and I in our corporate days. Um, and what does a? I what, I mean, just cause we're on this now, what, what does a really good business plan look like in, in, in your eyes? Cause I've seen ones that are like 85 pages of stuff that no one's ever going to read. And I see really my personal view, I like the ones that can fit on a page. I like those ones. <laughs> Obviously, it's somewhere in between. But um, I did some work with pret Monger years ago before they kind of went through their struggles they've been going through more recently. And they had, had, had this, this business plan on a page that every single person in the um, company had literally on their cubicles. And that was powerful because it got to your point that everyone understood it. Um, obviously, there was a more detailed one sitting somewhere. But what's your view on, on, the, on a great business plan?
0: I think simplicity has to be the key to any good business plan that you could pick it up and regardless of who you are in the business or even out of the business that you could pick it up read it be inspired by it and understand it there are too many people that seems to think that a business plan has to be filled with buzzwords that actually mean nothing um, in order to be able to affect corporate venture uh, venture capitalist or this and the other I've, I've got to include these words no include your words make it an emotive um business plan that people pick up and are inspired by and wants to read and wants to understand and wants to get to know something that you want to read regularly and and contributes towards something that's got a real set of visions and values that you could buy into even beyond that of your own existing business you know i mean we 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 rewrote our business plan and our vision statement or value statement based on the research that we did four years after we launched the business you know, we've we've now created a mission statement for our business that says we want to help support a million business leaders to add a zero to their personal disposable income. Now, now that's empowering. Um, that, that's engaging. That's inspiring. That's that, that doesn't use any buzzwords whatsoever. It's very descriptive by talking about a business leader rather than just a business owner. We, we've identified our target market. We know exactly who we want. And anyone that reads that says, ooh, that's interesting tell me more um so concise clear to read understandable but something that's inspiring and motivating that doesn't simply say we want to be able to pay our venture capitalists who've lent money to us as much share value as possible at the expense of everyone that's going
1: to help us better. <laughs> you're only saying that because you know it's my world and um, and the bit, <laughs> the exactly bit that's, the same coin. <laughs> and the bit that's missing there is it's normally not words it's normally spreadsheets and lots of them <laughs> All right, so we're clear on number one, which is the business plan. Number two is the inverted triangles and the people processes systems. As you said, is the the dichotomy of that sort of area. What's the third?
0: So the third's slightly more complex. And for that, we've divided a business into eight parts. Um, Now, I firmly believe that these eight parts, at some degree or another, exist in every single business. But it's understanding that for every action that you take, there's an ultimate reaction somewhere else within the business. This is fundamental for businesses that are growing particularly fast, scale businesses that have accelerated the growth, that are doing so exceptionally well, but do so at the expense of not understanding the impact that's having on other parts of the business. Um, So sales are suddenly influxed with winning new business and they're exceptional, they're on fire. The, The bell of success is being ring every five minutes and they're on fire. But they don't understand the impact that's having on customer service and delivery on being able to maintain the order value that they're now generating to the business. And all of a sudden, customers start to become disappointed. We don't meet our own SLA. People start to brand about it and brag about it on social media, saying that I've been woefully disappointed. And while sales are doing wonderfully, the whole business is imploding around them. So it's about not allowing a successful business to create silos within it by not understanding the need for communication within each department of the impact one has on the rest of the business.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, I was um, one of the most successful businesses I was involved in my career was Getty Images. And I've told that story on this show beforehand, but that uh, business was run effectively by what we called seven leadership principles. And one of those principles was no silos. And it took 10 interviews to get a job there, which was a little bit extreme, but the first interview was, can you do the job? The other nine were, do you fit the culture? Brilliant. And it was really cleverly done. The more I look back and reflect on my time there, everything was around those principles. You know, your performance management, your your remuneration, everything was around those principles. But they were very powerful statements. They weren't just like a word, a value that sits over there. It was a behaviour that you had to actually demonstrate um, with with authenticity and with 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 passion.
0: We've just finished writing our, our latest case study um, of, of a client that we've been working with um, up until June this year, so a, a, month, a month ago as we're recording this now. Um, now, we, we, we've got a list of case studies of people that we've worked with that have been really adopted, the things that we've talked about. You know, In, in seven years of trading, we've now had national, uh, eight national um, award winners uh, within their category um, as a result of implementing some of the things that we talk about. And Richard is going to be certainly well on his way to being an award winner this year, or certainly a national finalist because of his way in which he's adopted everything that we've talked about. And the most fundamental thing, the thing that we referenced the most in the, uh, the, uh, the case study is the fact that although he had a very good cultural fit and the business had a good cultural fit automatically already when we started working with him, just being able to fine tune that and being able to say, you know, you're already at 90%, but but what would incremental improvement, the Kaizen philosophy of incremental improvement into your cultural values set, what might that do for the business? And within a year of him impl- implementing some of the just minute little shifts to be able to help the cogs actually work effectively. He reported that he doubled his business turnover in the previous 12 months by the 29th of July the following year
1: and that's through as we as we do this through covid
0: that's through covid wow, um, wow. he is now set to quadruple his turnover from 2 years ago having implemented this uh, the, the, the things and the, just the fine tuning um, it was almost there but f- f- for any of us who are car buffs you walk down the street and you can hear the mistiming and the tappets. And you think, do you know, if, if only that was retuned, it was only recalibrated just slightly, you could hear that beautiful purr and know that it's going to take off. And it's exactly the same in business. Sometimes that we've, we're almost there. And yet it's that one little chink in the armor, It's the one cog, or it's the one tooth in one cog that is missing. And the whole thing is just working against each other all the time. It becomes hard work. And business should never be hard work. It should be bloody fun.
1: should be fun. And how did, how did Richard change himself personally through this journey as a leader? How, how did he show up differently?
0: Well, it was interesting because I, I met, I'd never met Richard before we started working together. I've been invited to go and speak at, a, at an after lunch event. And I shared this story with regards to the reason that you're here right now is that you only know what you know and you don't know what you don't know everything that you've ever done has led you to where you are now and if where you are right now isn't the success that you ever aspired it to be then perhaps we need to start learning to think differently in order to be able to have a different set of actions and a different set of results um, i'm a firm believer that your future will ultimately be determined by the quality of questions you learned to ask of yourself And he stood up halfway through my presentation in a room of about 120 odd people and said, I don't know what you're selling, but I'm in.
1: (laughs) Wow. There you go. That's true though. I mean, we talk about that a lot. And I I often advise people to have, you know, question time for themselves every single week. doesn't have to be much, you know, but, but plan it in advance, sit down with a set of questions. It was actually inspired by Keith Cunningham, who is the, um, you might've read his book. It's, um, the Road Less Stupid, he talks about this, but he was the rich dad in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he talks about the, the importance of thinking time, asking yourself quality questions.
0: Well, although I've got a, um, a, a preferred book list, a recommended reader's list for business owners, and there's, there's 37 books on that list, Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad is probably, well, I know it to be my, other than the Bible, it is, it, is, it is, other than the Bible, it is the, the, the most read book in my arsenal. I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad 17, maybe 18 times. And every time I read it, I get something completely different from it.
1: Yeah, well, we might have his daughter on the show soon. So that's pretty oh, wow. good fun. I can't get Robert, unfortunately. He doesn't do as much of this anymore. But um, I think that'll be equally compelling. Amen. Well, listen, we're almost at time, Jay. And you know what? I just want to call out a couple of things. Um, your passion for this is amazing. You know your energy for this because I'm. You know, we we put this stuff on YouTube, but I'm sort of sitting here, obviously listening intently to how you're describing stuff. But you know, for people who are who are just listening on the podcast on this, you know, the guy is so fired up. There's arms flying around the place. There's you know the you know the the, the faces lighting up as he's telling these stories. So you're definitely living your your mission and your calling, Jay. So so thank you for coming on the show and and you know offering so much value to the listeners. And I believe you've got a bit of a, a gift for our listeners today as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we've done our research into what what causes businesses to fail. We subsequently surveyed um, through the Chamber of Commerce 117,000 SME businesses to find out as to whether these flaws are already in their business. And if not, what what level of business do we have to get to before these flaws become prevalent? And why why, why don't we address it at the time? And off the back of finding out that, like I say, this 80% of business owners are wrong about everything. When, when we've, of those 117,000 responses, we found that 80% of business owners admitted to at least one, if not two or three of the flaws already in their micro business. We realised we needed to do some things to be able to help and support them. So we've created a list of 30 questions of the real foundations that we believe needs to be in place in order to enable any business... To subsequently have the confidence and competence to grow and then scale, and we'd like to gift anyone and everyone the opportunity to be able to at least ask themselves those thirty questions, and if necessary, know what you need to give considerations to now, in order that any of the efforts that you put into your business beyond there is far more worthy and rewarding than the time that you're getting back from it at present. Perfect. So we'd like to offer your listeners the, these thirty questions.
1: Okay, uh, this is, just, and you're calling not, this the At um, A Zero Scalability Audit, effectively. So they can take these questions and they're going to be able to get some insight from those questions about where they should focus. Is, that, is Yeah, that absolutely.
0: The... We asked 30 questions. They're all on a scale of 1 to 10. How do you currently feel about X? So it'll take you five, six minutes to fill them in. And off the back of that, we'll send you a very bespoke and detailed report based on our research on what we think you want to be concentrating on first in order to be able to make sure that your foundations are solid on whatever you choose to them subsequently build on it. You've got the solid foundations to be able to have the confidence to do so.
1: Great. Awesome. That'll be really valuable. As I said, everyone who's listening to this is going through some form of growth and scale up journey. <laughs> so anything that helps them on that is, is fantastic. So I've got, listen, I've got two final questions for you today. Um, the second to last one is what's a final piece of advice for anyone who's going through business right now, who's really challenged, you know, one thing that, you know, they could listen from you, one takeaway that, that you think, um, could inspire them or help them, um, if they're in that kind of pretty dark place right now,
0: I guess it comes back to the, what I've just re- you know, frequent, uh, recently said with regards to, you don't know what you don't know um so be open and willing to learn new things because whatever you've done has got you to where you are and if where you are right now isn't where you want to be and and this isn't the destination then you've got to be willing to be able to change the in, in order to change the outcome you've got to change the action and in order to change the action you've got to change the mindset um but what what's coupled with that is again another quote from bill gates and he simply said if you want to get ahead get a coach um there will always be an opportunity for you to be able to look at things differently and to be able to dissect the problem in order to be able to determine the the, the solution um, and you're never going to do that yourself you can't self-teach or self, self-learn the things that you need to do you, you always need an external perspective and I'm not trying to sell myself because Nick you're an exceptional world-class coach but just get somebody else to center check your thinking, to challenge your thinking, to be able to make sure that you've given due consideration to all of the options before you actually enact any of them.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I constantly say this to people as well. I mean, I've got two mentors and a coach to this day and, you know, people know what I'm trying to do in terms of um, the aspirations of both commercially and philanthropically and all those sort of things. And I, you know, I was a little bit reticent to the whole idea of that investment years ago and that's when i happened to be stuck (laughs) and you know as as we all talk about it doesn't have to be someone who's you know miles ahead of you or anything like that but just getting that that perspective is a huge huge thing so i i actually would put it down as probably being the number one thing that people need to do as a first step to get that external perspective so no it's absolutely fine i think everyone's heard enough of it we talk about it a lot on this show so so don't worry
0: i can genuinely look back on my 13 years of business now and look at the growth that we've made and the times that we've made the biggest growth and attribute them in my journal to the times where I was being challenged the most by an external perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Fundamentally, I agree with that. And
0: you can almost map it to the month that I had my meeting with Nick then, and a month later, we, we chose to implement this and we started to see it five, six, seven weeks later. And I can yeah. look at the the growth patterns of the business and the, and the flat bits of the business And then look through the journal and realize that, well, they were the times where we weren't really being challenged. We were almost reviewing, but the times where I was asked the most difficult questions to answer were the times where we subsequently saw the biggest growth in the business.
1: Yeah. Well, it's one of those, we didn't talk a lot about it today, but it kind of, it's a nice way to finish. I think is clarity is, is I always say focus is a superpower and I believe that, but I think clarity is as well because, because once someone has clarity, then the actions, if you like, the steps that need to be taken, to get to whatever the outcome is becomes easier. You know, it's not easy, one, but easier.
0: the 1% difference, Nick, between yeah. True North and Magnetic North. It's, it's the 1% that makes all the difference.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, final question, Jay. Um, where can people find you? Because I'm sure there's lots of people who are going to want to kind of go, this guy's quite interesting. <laughs> and I know you do Q&As and you've got virtual coffees and all sorts of different things. So how can people reach out to you?
0: LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn every day. I love the platform. I think it's exceptional. Um, so simply linkedin.com um, forward slash in forward slash Jay Allen, my true north.
1: Um, right. Well, we're going to put all your, we've got a few different links here for you. So we're going to put all of that into the show notes as well. So I'm sure. And if anyone, you know, um, just reach out to me if you want to get in touch with Jay. We're good mates. We've had some wine and steak together. Yeah. <laughs> <Post> <laughs> well,
0: COVID, we'll do it again
1: as it will exactly well listen thank you so much for coming on scale up your business we've been talking about this for some time i'm glad that we've made it happen and thank you for sharing so many fantastic insights that i know have helped the scale up your business listeners today
0: delighted thank you for your time nick